Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm Andre DePuisto. I'm the founder of Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. All right, well, we got Dan on the line. And I started thinking, I probably shouldn't have shared those pictures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, guys, we got Don Higgins on. Um, anything that's got to do with uh, chasing big deer, I've got my hands in it somehow. So. Well, my name's John Eberhardt. The first one that comes to mind was early in my career. I'm Scott Buckley from Iowa. Um, I had jumped him in the summer, too. He jumped up in that swamp grass down in the bottom lake. And, uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm chasing it. There ain't nothing stopping me. Justin Hollinsworth, I'm with Whitetail Addictions and uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. So what are we talking about tonight? We're, uh, we're talking about the one that got away. We talked about a deer that we didn't get it done on for some reason. Um, so uh, go ahead and get into the story of the one that got away. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast, coming in your ear holes, and I'm a I'm a voice short tonight. Old home slice <clears throat> isn't feeling too good. Um, he's finally going to miss a podcast. I, I've missed two in four and a half years, and I don't think he's ever missed one. So this will be his first one he's ever missed. But I got a good replacement. I got Grant Putton from Last Breath, um, and we're going to talk a little late season food and the value of it, and a bunch of different stuff. Uh, about how you should kind of get prepared for next year if you don't have any food right now. How are you doing tonight, man? Tip top, ready to ready to roll and talk about this with you. Heck yeah, I mean, I appreciate you coming on. Kind of short notice. I wanted to talk to someone, and you've been hunting your balls off late season. You guys prepare for late season, so I did, couldn't really think of a better person to talk to. Um, we're going to get the people to make this possible. We're going to get off of the show. Uh, I want to start with last breath. Um, I want you guys just to touch base on the film festival, Badlands Film Festival, a little bit. Um, the video should be coming out soon, and what the listeners can expect and what what they're what they're see. Sure. So this year, when we went down there, uh, we were selected for the short film category. We did not put in a full feature film this year, and um, there were four others 
or three others, us being the fourth film that was in the short category. Uh, those are films missions that are under four minutes in length. And then there were another eight films that were in the full feature category. And those have a maximum length of 10 minutes capped. So there's 12 films total. Um, the host, Blake Van Tussenbrook, um, one of the marketing managers at Badlands Gear, he actually, you know, he typically calls the short film category the appetizer and the, you know, the full course meal is the uh, full feature films there. So there were eight filmmakers in the full, four in the short. Uh, there was only one filmmaker that crossed over both categories and that submitted in both. And that's a guy by the name of Matt Forsyth. And he does a lot of work for Kuyu and um, uh, a guy by the name of Will Waldrop, which is the gentleman that he submitted the two other films in. So there's 12 total films. Um, we ended up getting fourth in the short category. Um, I'll be interested to see, you know, what everybody else thinks. There's a definite and stark difference between our film and the other short films that were entered in that category. And then the eight films uh, that were the full length, they were really a diverse group. There was an elk hunt this year. There was just kind of a film about respect and values of hunting. There were several films about youth, several films about, um, you know, big, like interesting destination hunting trips, uh, muskox slash caribou hunt. And then there was a uh, two moose hunts in there this year, which I've never seen two moose hunts. I've seen one in there before, but um, it's just a, a lot of different kinds of films that uh, kind of share a couple threads and common common themes. So I'll be interested to see what the uh, viewers, when they view the full show, they'll probably be able to pick up on um, our film and how it was a little bit different in the short film category from the others. So uh, yeah, pretty honored to be there. It was our third submission. Um, in four years, we didn't submit in 2020, but in, or uh, excuse me, 21, but in 19, 20, and 22, we submitted and got in. So three for three, just haven't made the podium yet with the trophy or any of the cash. So still trying to get in that top, uh, those top spots. Yeah, it's pretty cool film fest. Um, seemed like it, there was less, was there less people here there this year or was it about the same? It seemed. So I talked to a lot of people before, like at the uh, producer pre-party thing. So my wife and I drove down there. It's about five hours, 45 minutes from our house to Louisville. And we drove down there, talked to several people that I knew that submitted a film. Um, the guys from Chase Nation and Sam Ubel submitted a film. So I was talking to them a lot. And they actually bought passes to the ATA show this year. Um, we didn't want to. We just, we've been there for about seven years. And we kind of viewed it as, uh, you know, we've already kind of seen been there, done that. And, uh, we didn't want to waste our time going again. And he said that it was absolute, uh, a ghost town there and yeah. people weren't there this year. And the turnout of the film festival kind of reflected that there's probably a 1200 to 1500 people there, but in years past where there's been three or 4,000 people and yeah. the doors are packed and looping around the theater there, it's, uh, yeah, the attendance for everything seemed to be down this year. And, um, I don't know why that is. I have some theories, but um, yeah. Yeah. I have too. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the rest of this. We're hit right on optics. Um, I talked to Austin today. They got some new stuff coming down the line. I'm pretty excited to get my hands on that. And I uh, also want to say that these guys aren't only um, like a shotgun muzzleloader rifle sights. They have pistol sights and a lot of tactical stuff too. Um, so definitely check them out. Um, they got that li that lifetime warranty and uh, guaranteed you have your stuff back in 72 business hours. 
Um, if it does break or uh, needs repair, they just send you a brand new one. Um, next level deer supplements. This is a time of the year that they need the feed the most. Um, the does are bred. The bucks are at their, their worst from now the next month. They're at their smallest. They're going to be trying to regroup. So uh, if you can feed in your state, I wish we could feed. I say that all the time. I don't like, I don't care if we could bait, but I wish we could supplemental feed and mineral throughout the year. It's something that we can't do in Illinois. Um, but this is the time to do it. And next level can get you hooked up there. Um, Exodus trail cams. Um, the battery life in these have been kicking butt out there when it's been cold. Um, some of our other battery or some of our other cameras have their batteries get low and then their flash gets pretty bad. Um, I've been noticing and the Exodus trail cameras, they're, they're pretty consistent. Um, and I've been running two that I know of on video mode for, I don't know how long and we can't bait, but at least two or three months with industrial lithiums. And those things are just absolutely ripping. Um, so definitely check them out. And, uh, I'm sure that there have some, some end of the, or some beginning of the year deals coming up soon. Um, the last breath, breath code for Badlands, is that still in effect? Uh, it just expired the other day. So I'm going to work oh, on man. getting a new code. Um, okay. but that should be within the next two weeks. So we can supply that code again. All right. Yeah. We, we got a lot of messages about that. Um, it's nice to be able to give our listeners a little discount whenever they can. And, uh, this isn't a, we've ran some ads for them before, but under warmer, I just want to mention that you've been wearing it a lot. I've been wearing it and, uh, we wore it before and talked about it. And then I wore it when we went out hunting here recently and I was just blown away by what it is. And, uh, it's basically a fitted shirt with eight hand warmer, you know, four in the front, four in the back. And it's, I was thinking, I don't think you would want to wear that on my, as a base layer, you would want something in between your skin and it, it says a hundred degrees, but man, it got super warm. Um, pretty reasonable price. Um, you've been using it. How is the renewable, if you bag it and put it back on, how is it, how's that work? So I've done that twice. And basically if you cut off the air supply to it, so if you have like a one gallon Ziploc bag, you can throw it right back in there and it, it immediately heats up. Goes right um, back. Yeah. I did, I put mine in the Ziploc bag right when I got home and uh, I'm going to hopefully use it again this weekend, but I was going to, that's something I hadn't done before is used it twice, but I know that they say you can reseal it. It's good for 12 hours. It's just a really cool hunting product that kind of ties in the late season food that I don't think is very well known and not talked about by anybody, but it's like super, a super awesome product. I, it's just, it's a, it's definitely changes how you, your comfort level of setting out there. And that's the name of the game right now is being able to set in these cold temps. Um, but we're, uh, we're ready to get in this. And like I said, we're going to talk about late season food, um, food plots. We're also going to touch bait a little bit, but that's something that we can't do here in Illinois, but, uh, food plots in general, we talk about, you know, on a budget, if you can go all out, what kind of value they bring, um, and then kind of how to hunt it and how to prepare for next year. Um, cause now's the time to make a plan on what you, what you want to do. So you've been hunting the last like 14 days, right? Or 12 days or something like that. Yeah. So the last two weeks, um, 
Well, I'm a school teacher by trade, so we get our winter break. And then I also had COVID last week, which forced me to quarantine for 10 days. So I got the luxury of being able to teach from home and go out in the evenings um, last week. And so, yeah, out of about 14, 15 days, I've been out about 10 or 11 times and um, seen a lot of deer. (laughs) Yeah. So you're uh, the perfect to talk on this subject. Um, I think we should start this off with... uh, how, you know, how do, if someone's thinking about getting food plots go or going, you know, the season, maybe have a couple of weeks left, but they need something for next year. What would be your go-to plan to create a food plot where you could potentially have something, have an opportunity? Cause you know, listen to your guys, the podcast, you're right. You either have the food and have the deer this time of year, or you have no food and no deer. There's no in between. It's either all or nothing. So if a guy wanted to make a plan now, what's some things that he should be thinking about doing? So Garrett and I kind of have like a schedule that we go through every year. And um, I, I see you have about three options if you're normal everyday, you know, average Joe guy with, you know, middle class, working class salary, uh, you know, kind of like all the people that we talk to on our podcast and all of us in general. Um, none of us are making, you know, ridiculous amounts of money. Uh, or owning our own equipment. So I'm speaking of those, you know, about 90% of the listing base here is going to be in the same boat we're in. So um, <clears throat> a couple of different things. Option one, the, be- the best option for a monoculture crop, I would say you, that'd be your corn and beans, would be if you've got agricultural ground on your land that's currently being cash rented by a farmer. Um, Garrett and I have done it simply before where we're like, all right, what, what are you getting per acreage? Um, what What kind of harvests are you bringing in? What kind of bushel per acre on corn and beans are you yielding? Uh, We're just going to pay for it and you can leave it stand up. And so we've had that happen. Our best year of hunting actually on record was a deer that he and I both both bucked out. And this would have been um, nine years ago when we started hunting our our best farm uh, for the first time. And standing soybeans got left in um, a back secluded field that we hunt. And um, we ended up killing four really nice deer that year, um, all around the field area itself, um, two in one in October, one in November, and then two later into the late season. So those deers actually kind of hanging right up back there on the wall. So option one, the most eco-friendly way, I would say, and cost-efficient way of getting corn and beans for the late season specifically would be working with your farmer and just finding a farmer that uh, maybe is adjacent to you or is going to allow you to hunt that is okay with um, taking that taking that loss and being able to just recoup the cash funds off of what he was going to make from the elevators anyway. Uh, so that's, that's a great option. Yeah, that's a great option. A lot of the farmers around here, um, the ground right up next to the timber isn't a really high yielding ground most of the time anyways. And it's kind of a pain in the ass for them to harvest those end rows that are close to timber or something. And that's kind of where you want this food to be anyways. So I think that's a great option. Um, A lot of people are going to be more apt to do that than I think. Like if you went to a guy and said, Hey, I'm going to give you the exact price. It, it saves them time harvesting. They're still making the money and they don't have to worry about the ground that is subpar closer to the timber. Um, and if it's something that like a lot of the farmers around here, they're always cutting the trees back 
and everything to get the combine in there. They didn't have to get the combine in every there year. It's really going to benefit them to yes. to lease that out. So that's definitely a good option. Yeah. And uh, Garrett and I have done that before where we'll just simply take T posts or, you know, homemade like wooden stakes with we'll spray the tips of them with like blaze orange or fluorescent orange or yellow or pink or something. So that way in the comp combines coming through that the the picker will know like oh that's the area i'm supposed to leave and so we've mapped out like acres of two to four acres before for late season you know food sources being left by the farmer that's option one uh the second option is the slightly more elaborate option for for late season food we're talking uh for specifically honed in on that lots of deer that i've seen over the last several days and you know that i continue to watch online when I'm watching productions online and experts that I look up to lots of deer and and our cameras too. Um, it seems like every night we've got about 40 deer on our property and they're, the herd is split and typically they'll come out and they'll feed in, um, an area where we have about two acres worth of turnips planted. Um, so I just wanted to go over some of the numbers for turnips. So if a guy wanted to, and he had access and uh, I wrote that down as well, so for about a, for about $800, $900, you could have an absolutely outstanding turnip spot. So you're going to want that in moderate to direct sunlight. Um, so we just converted a part of an old field to that and a little bit of, little bit of math for you here. Um, Whitetail Institute is the seed blend that we use as well as you guys. And for 24 pounds of tall tine tubers, which are the um, turnips blend that Garrett and I plant, um, 24 pounds will do four acres, which is an absolute ton of turnips. And that yeah. is only $160 for that sack on whitetailinstitute.com. So you're in for $160 there. And that is also a rest. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Resistant. So, um, you can actually spray this with a rest. It's a uh, grass killer that will take any of the tall weeds that are going to be coming up through there when you plant it. So we'll go through, we'll till it, which uh, tractor tiller, you can rent that from most of your local small rentals, like, you know, anywhere between a 24 horse and like a 40 horse tractor, they'll give you the tractor tiller and trailer rental for $600 for like 24 hours or like $480 for a um for a half day a 12 to eight hour day so there you're in for let's call it an extra 600 bucks if you go with the 24 hours so now you're up to about 750 dollars. and then the way that you can get it to grow even better and really throw a lot of tonnage on the ground is garrett and i for the last five years we've been renting a buggy from our local co-op um agricultural co-op and we'll ask for 2000 pounds of an even mix of fertilizer and we'll go out and fertilize the turnips that we have. And <clears throat> depending on how much fertilizer you want, we've done a thousand pounds in the past this year. And the last year we actually did 2000 pounds and that's $250. So for a thousand dollars total, uh, if you can get all the tilling done in a day and you do it smart before rain comes for a thousand dollars, you can have four acres of planted turnips that are going to be about the size of softballs or larger um, that's going to provide a ton of food for deer. And we've been seeing deer hit those first before they even hit our late season beans, um, for the last two to four weeks in Illinois, they've been hitting that first. So that'd be option two would be to go something like that. And then option three, if you have access to the equipment yourself and can do all the work without the rentals and stuff like that, you know, that's obviously going to cost you the cost of a tractor and equipment, which is no small feat. That's why we do it 
the first way I presented and the second way that I presented, but um, you figure, you know, if you're got, I don't know, corn that's bringing like a hundred, uh, 150 bushel acre corn, you know, not really nice black dirt primo corn prices like in Illinois and Iowa. Most of the fields that we're renting from a farmer, they're back in a cove, which is where deer want to be anyway, and they're shittier yields. So um, typically a farmer is going to let you go for a little bit less in those areas than other areas. And so, um, yeah, I, I feel like the third option is doing it all yourself and having the equipment and stuff like that. We don't, which is why we buy the cash crop off of the farmer. And then we kind of shabble together, you know, get a couple of buddies that either have a tractor or we go rent one ourselves, get the buggy and then do the tilling, you know, in the wake of a really good rainstorm that we know is going to hit us. So actually this year when we were planting um, that particular food source with the turnips, we actually tilled that up and we waited for three weeks. That ground was tilled and we waited for three weeks until we had a really big, really big rainstorm coming in. And on the evening before that rolled in, Garrett went out there and seeded it and that beat it down into the ground and the fertilizer as well. And it, it's clutch. There's about 20 to 30 deer on it that feed through it on their way to the beach yeah. single night. Yeah, I think I think the <clears throat> farmer option, people think that it's going to be expensive. But when you think about if you're if you're wanting to do like an acre, I mean, that's probably one of the most efficient ways to do it, um, to pay the farmer. Um, but we do the kind of the same thing. We find someone that has a tractor and a tiller and we pay them to come out and then we buy the seed and we put the seed out. And uh, another good option um, is the throw and grow. And that's what we did in one spot this year. Um, that's kind of a very cheap way to do it if someone's like, man, I want to try this. I don't know how it's going to go. I'm going to give it, you know, give it a shot. I'm going to do something small and see how the deer react. Maybe I'm going to do a quarter acre and half acre. And then uh, instead of going into it and spending a thousand bucks, I'm going to try to try to see how, see if any deer actually come to it. And then the next year you're obviously that plot's going to get ate up pretty quick and you're going to want more tonnage, but that's what we did this year. We did a small plot. Um, we went in there, we killed everything, went in there and we burned it and raked it, um, and got the soil open. Um, there was a bunch of rain coming. We were absolutely blessed with rain earlier this year. Um, it was bad on the hand fishing, but good, good for the, good for the food plots. But, uh, we, uh, we, we seeded it right before rain and, uh, it grew one of the best food plots we've ever had. And it was just a throw and grow um, from Whitetail Institute and, uh, those deer, they hit it early, really, really good. And then they didn't hunt, hit it until late, but that's why you're planning when you're planning a late season food source. Um, there's other options, but I feel like it's beneficial to have something that they're not going to hit until late. Um, if you have something that they're going to hit all year, that food is probably going to be pretty scarce and gone by the time they're actually going to want a daylight on that due to cold temps. So I think there is a positive to having a food plot that's more specifically for late season. We also planted beans and uh, they do go to our beans, but way less than the greens and they do it at a later time. And I think a lot of that has to do with the location that we have to plant the beans um, with these, with the, kind of the throw and grow and those turnip plots 
you can kind of put those in a more secluded spot as long as you have the sun kind of in a low spot or something. Um, and they're going to hit those before they go to the field at dark. And uh, I think that's super valuable. It's something that I've done in the past and not had a ton of success with. And then I did it this year and it was once the cold weather got here, it was like a light switch of no deer on the property to a bunch of deer on the property in daylight and having an opportunity at a buck that we kind of hunted all year. And there's no way that that deer would have even been there if he, they didn't have the food there, but, um, I'm going to talk to the farmer. They, the farmer did raise pigs and he used all of his corn for pig feed. Yep. Um, and they lost all their pigs and they don't know if they're going to get back into the pig game. But if I could have some standing corn or some standing beans there, that would be super beneficial, but that wasn't an option, but it might be an option. Now he did corn on corn on corn every year and then fed the corn to the pigs. And now that might be an option where he's like, yeah, I'll leave you an acre or a half acre. Um, kind of in a low spot or out of the way. So that's definitely something that I want to talk about, but you can go as big or small as you want. You can have a big giant plot or you can have a small petite plot um, with the spray and the seed. And with the labor we had, we might've had 200 bucks in that food plot, that yeah. throne row. And mm -hmm. uh, like I said, there, there's a lot of deer on it early and late and, uh, that's a good option, but definitely if we had a giant two acre plot there, the deer are still going to be there. And yep. when you do a two acre plot, you can kind of have some variety say, okay, this is going to be my early season, mid season food. And then this is going to be my late season food. Yep. And then kind of hang your stands according to the wind direction for early and late where they're going to be on the food plot. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, I was actually thinking about, you know, the option a, like if you're going to buy something. So in, in the background, as you've been talking here, I was thinking around and looking up some average bushels and in 2020, the average bushel in, uh, Illinois harvested was 190 um, bushels per acre of corn. Um, that's just what the market said online here. And then right now people are getting about $6 and six cents per bushel. So we round that down to six and multiply 190 by six. You're paying about a thousand, $100 per acre of standing corn that you want left up. So if you just, for simplicity of math, leave two acres of standing corn and you mow it, cut it down, knock it down, whatever, then you're in it for about 2,200 bucks. And I guess the way that Garrett and I talk about anything financially related to whitetails is how much would it cost a person to go to Kentucky, to go to Iowa, to go to an outfitter during the rut for three to five days? Well, most people worth their salt are going to be between 3,500 and $6,500 for a hunt like that on a trophy caliber whitetail. And uh, I guess the question I'd ask to the listeners is uh, what, what amount of money would you pay to go hunt a whitetail or to have that insurance policy? That's kind of the way that I see it. It's like deer hunting is kind of like gambling and a food plot is hedging your bet. It's kind of like having insurance on your house or your vehicle. You know, you're, you're not planning yeah. on that happening. Like ideally we're bucked out by November 5th every year, all of us, but we know that that's not the reality. Most cases we're going to be hunting late into the season, like, you know, we're trying to now. So, um, so that'd get you quite a bit of corn. And if it's yielding out at 190 bushels an acre, you know, one bushels, 40, 50 pounds. And that's a lot, yeah. that's a lot of sacks worth of 50 pound corn yeah. to be, you know, out on the ground there. That's going to last for a very long time. Yes. Um, one thing that I wanted to cover uh, that I think a lot of people are probably thinking um, a lot of people listen to this from different states in Illinois and they can bait 
So I want to go in kind of like a pros and cons of what you think about baiting and food plots. And I might throw some little bit of stuff in there. Um, but a lot of people think, oh, I'll just bait, draw the deer in, and it'd be way more cost effective than planting the food plot. Um, what, what's your take on that? What's some pros that you could see and cons that you could see to that situation? Uh, well, I could see that if they bait and they get it done really quickly, uh, no doubt in my mind that it would be cheaper than planting a food plot. However, I'm not a, you know, like a person that's in a state that can bait, like you said, I don't have any experience doing that. So people that are, you know, a person like Cam Deerfield, who's applying a lot of bait to a lot of stations, like a person like that in the outfitter realm in a baiting state, I feel like they'd be really qualified to speak on this. Whereas I'm yeah. just qualified on the food plot side and not the bait side, but I feel like the the psychopaths or really passionate people in any industry or anything that's being done are going to go that nth step for example if baiting was legal here in illinois i know that yeah maybe that'll take place of maybe a micro plot or something that garrett and i are considering planning but we're going to be out there we're going to be baiting it and consistently updating that every day we're not going to let it be run and dry and we're going to get on a schedule and keep the bait supplied to the deer if that's the thing that we would be able to do but the first glaring downside to it would be i feel like you'd be you know pressuring deer more often than than not if you're uh unless you have a, a setup that was <coughs> like a buggy system or some kind of auger cart that you could drag behind a truck or a uh, tractor or something like that and really supply the bait in large quantities where it would permit you to stay out of there for longer periods of time. But um, that's the first and obvious reason I think. And then, um, like I said, for cost, if you're a person that's going to run bait for six months of the year, like lots of those Southern States that allow it, their deer seasons are extremely liberal and they're yeah. last forever. It seems like. And, uh, I would say that if you're a person that's really doing your due diligence and having that bait always there, you're probably going to run through a lot of money. I actually, I should make a spreadsheet of and just kind of model this out after we get done here and then give you some numbers to, to talk yeah. about. Yeah, I, that, that's kind of what I was thinking too. We can't bait, um, but I feel like you would be in there replenishing that bait. Um, I'm not an expert on it at all either, but that was just my opinion. If you have a food plot, the thing's out there. It's there all year. Yeah. You don't have to do anything to it once you get it in the ground. It's regenerating food. You know, it's not throughout the year. It's growing more food and more food. It's just basically supplying bait itself. Um, and I feel like a green turnip field has just as much draw power as a bait, a bait site would to bring a deer out in daylight because you have no human scent, no pressure, no nothing. You can yeah. monitor that food pot and strike where with the bait, you're going to have to go out there, apply bait and then reapply bait. And then if you get any snow or ice, like we got here, we've had snow and ice on the ground for, I don't know, two weeks. I feel like if you had any bait out that that would be frozen underneath the ground, you'd have to reapply on top. But yeah. like I said, if that's something that Illinois ever did do, I definitely would be yeah. in the game on 100%. doing it. Yep. But and then we would know a little bit more about it. But I know that there's a lot of listeners that are probably on the fence about like, well, there's a food plot valuable because I can bait. And if my neighbor's baiting, I got to bait. But I still think that at having that food that replenishes itself, um, it's good. And and I don't know about you, but 
there's a lot of hunters that hunt around us, but there's not a lot of people that put late season food out or food plots in general. I feel like that's talked about a lot and seen a lot on TV and YouTube and stuff. But I feel like probably if you took a poll of the amount of hunters that put a food plot out, it's maybe 20%. Sure. You know, I, I wouldn't think it would be very high. So if you are not in a state that can bait and you're trying to compete with your neighbors, or even if you are in a state that can bait and you have a food plot and they don't, that's a huge draw power. Um, Cause these deer are coming. The deer that we have now have been gone for months and now are coming back. You know, they knew this food plot was there. They're on it early and now the snow's here and they're coming back and hitting it pretty regularly. So it's definitely interesting to see what, what they can do. I feel like a, a couple other um, benefits and drawbacks that I was thinking of there that you kind of sparked my thought, train of thought down the tracks on are um, a bait site is a singular location. It's one little blip in time, one little location, typically, unless you have multiple bait sites, which uh, gets into my point that trail cameras and monitoring that bait site would be much easier than monitoring a large late season food plot. Um, yeah. So right now we've got about four acres of what we call a buffet and that's clovers, brassicas and turnips slash radish. And then we've got a four acre bean plot and it does take quite a few cameras to cover all of that and uh, make sure that we're clogging up all the entrances and exits with cameras to monitor every single deer, the majority of the deer that are coming into the plot, whereas bait site would just be, you know, you could set one camera with a moderately slower trigger speed on there, one mobile camera, and you'd know every year that would be hit. Um, another one is I feel like when I watch things online and uh, about 12 years ago, Garrett and I went and did a hog hunt down in Texas and, you know, it's baited. We're sitting over a big ass pile of corn. <clears throat> and I feel like when I watch a lot of that content and hear from people in states that can bait, everybody's just like, oh, going willy nilly. Like, oh, you live in a bait state. It must be so easy to hunt where I feel yeah. like you are coming in on serious pins and needles to those bait sites. They know something is kind of not natural. They know something's kind of up. Whereas um, a couple acre field or a micro kill plot that's kind of out in the middle of the woods with not really one lump or mound of something that's moderately unnatural for a deer. Um, I feel like, I feel like it's a little bit more natural to plant a food plot just because it's kind of mir mirroring a smaller version of like a monocrop field, which deer are used to. And, um, so I feel like there are, there are a couple of other, you know, benefits of bait. You can monitor it with trail camera easier, but I feel like in bait in a state, you can bait that deer are coming in a little bit more wigged out a little bit more on edge and yeah, like that, they're more probably apt to drop, to blow, to run stuff like that. So yeah, a couple of, um, so, I mean, our season, we have what, five days left or so here. Um, I know a lot of other seasons are out. Um, but if, if someone, if someone was to, to hunt this, how, how do you go about hunting it? I, I feel like the hardest problem for us with a late season food plot is the access to it. I feel like that's something that you need to plan out. Um, kind of well in advance because something that we didn't really plan on having a problem with is deer bedding very close to the food plot and that's what we got now like spots that deer <laughs> have never bed in before that are fairly open yep. they're bedding in now because this food plot is there so i feel like that's something that you need to kind of make a plan for now so how could you how would you think you could go about doing that um uh, so i uh, Garrett and I are about five years 
into doing this and practicing this, but lots of those food plot seed makers, they'll make screening. Um, so visual screening is something that we tried to plant and we've been doing it for about five years now and some more successful than others, some, you know, less, uh, this year's screen, we planted, <clears throat> we planted a particular blend and, um, it was awesome. Just so awesome. All September, all October, all November. And then when it started to wilt and, uh, and dry out and get hard, um, some of these, I don't know if you remember the wind that we got on December 6th. It was like an yeah. 80 mile an hour wind, which kind of sucks in retrospect. Like if you're a food plot seed maker, you're probably not making Egyptian, you know, grass blends that are going to be rated for 80 mile an hour winds. That's like a siding or yeah. a shingle maker. Like, yeah, we can, we can stand up to an 80 mile an hour wind and then yeah. a tornado yeah. rolls through at 200 or something and sucks all the shingles off. You're like, well, shit, it's not really their fault. It's not really your fault. It's nobody's fault. Mother nature is just a fickle bitch sometimes. And, yeah. uh, and so I don't want to like say that this blend sucked. It was great. It was probably about seven to nine feet tall and it was awesome getting in and out of there all October, November. But when that really hard wind at the 80 mile an hour wind came, it just destroyed it. But we've been screening our plots for about five years. And then three years ago, um, three management seasons ago, I guess, if you want to call it, we call that the spring, we started getting heavily into management and we actually started <clears throat> feathering the edges of all our food plots, basically making, some less desirable trees fall to the ground and create like a log jam of trees, basically a wall, a fence just made naturally out of, you know, what mother nature's given us with trees, timber, bushes, stuff like that. And so one of the valuable things that we've done is um, we've created a couple of blinds that we use only for shotgun and uh, muzzleloader hunting. And uh, we sourced all the materials ourselves and Facebook marketplace, the crap out of stuff, got some really nice like aluminum doors and, double pane sliding windows on sale from like Lowe's and people who were remodeling houses that were like, ah, I had an extra window here. You want it? And so for about a thousand dollars a piece, we created a couple of blinds that we built completely from scratch. And those allow us to sit and they're completely, you know, they're dead quiet. They're insulated. They're painted black on the inside. There's carpeting on the floor and they're extremely quiet. They hold our scent really well. We can get away with a lot more marginal winds that we could have not gotten in a soft-sided blind or an open blind, I would call them. Um, so that's one thing. Feathering the edges kind of push deer. Like, uh, for example, our late season bean plot, it's four acres. That's a big ass field, you know, from corner to corner, the longest point, it's about 220 yards, 230 yards from the farthest points on the edge. <clears throat> and so, you know, when you're stuck in Illinois and you don't have a forgiving like late muzzleloader season like Iowa, then you're kind of stuck with a bow and an effective range of like 50 yards and in. And so how do you combat that? Well, we laid out all these trees so that there was three openings into this food plot and they have to walk by all three of them. And so we choose the desirable wind that deer have to go to get into that plot and we pick the blind accordingly. Um, one set up for like a Northwest wind, one we can get away with like a West, a North, um, and even like a Northeast, uh, and another one is completely enclosed and we can get away with just about any wind other than like a Southwest wind is pretty bad. And another location, we have a stand hung up and a blind hung up and we can hunt about 270 degrees worth of wind on that as well. So I feel like intelligently, one of the things, and, uh, I'll never have as much money or time or resources as they do, but the Drury is one thing that I picked up from them and watching all the monster buck 
stuff that they've been doing for, you know, the last two, three decades is this thing called planting to your position. So Garrett, I built these blinds and we chose these food plot locations so that um, two of the blinds, we were very safe on our entry and exit and we could get in and out of the blind without blowing the field or at least not blowing the entire field on purpose every night. Um, so our blinds aren't positioned to the middle of our food, but they're positioned on the edge so that um, on certain winds we can get in and out of there and they're on the edge and they're screened and uh, they, they provide us with a lot of cover. So that's the other way, um, I guess. Yeah. We have stands all over those edge feather holes. So when deer are coming up and down in a, in a parade that <clears throat> we're safe for certain winds, more, more times than not, we set our late season stands up for Northwest prevailing winds. If you look at a wind chart in the past wind history, it's it's about 70% of the time that we're getting a northwest wind or some combination of north and west during, you know, the months of October, November, and December. So that's how we usually set up for that and uh, try to make it so that the most minimal amount of deer winding us, seeing us, and freaking out and running away when we're, we're exiting. So um, we... It was kind of daunting the first time because um, to make these feathers, you know, we're chopping down a lot of trees, but uh, most of the trees we're bringing down and we're hinging. Uh, so it brings a lot of food there as well. <clears throat> and uh, it's it's been a really good practice for us. And it really funnels deer right past, like I said, those cameras that we hang. So that's how we really keep tabs on those late season food sources to make sure, okay, there's the deer that we want to kill. He's coming in this hole. He's done it this day, this day, this day, and this day. And now we're going to go try to take a stab at him and kill him. Yeah. So I think another thing uh, that to point out would be, um, when you're, when you do have these late season food plots, you know, maybe you have a stand set up in mind that you hunt in the rut there or something. Uh, you got to think about what your cover is going to be like in December and January when you're going to be in these spots. So blinds a great option, but if you are in a tree, that tree is going to look a lot different now, now than it did in no October, November when you're hunting that. So yeah. that's something to think about when you're out there and you're going to plant, you know, kind of plant your location. Um, we had, we had a, this food plot that we planted and we were actually in a tree, maybe 15 yards away, which put us 15 yards and closer to shooting, but the cover just wasn't there for late season. So we moved back and cut our way up into where, um, like a bigger, a big hedge tree and then a couple small hedge trees had kind of grown into it. Um, and we're pretty much invisible in there. Uh, but you're, you're a little bit further away from where the deer are going to be yeah if you you plan it accordingly you know you want to have as much forage as you can but you plan it accordingly um but you definitely want to think about okay i'm going to be out here there's going to be no leaves the you know there's going to be no back cover at all potentially in this tree and you're more than likely going to have a lot of eyes on that food plot all at the same time because most of the time the buck you're after isn't the first deer on the food plot. Like that's what happened to us this year. You know what I mean? But most, most of the time you have 10 does out there and a couple small bucks and this buck over here, and there might be some real, real close and some far away. And you got a lot of eyes that are going to see that movement. So when that time does come and your buck does come out and you're trying to adjust to get on him, yeah. You, you have to keep that in mind, but a blind's a great option. You can move in a blind. Um, but if a guy doesn't like blind hunting or can't afford a blind, um, just make sure that you have some kind of cover 
Um, and that's something that we have to do. We, we're going to plant a small kill plot on the urban farm that I killed on. Yep. And there's very small trees with no cover. So we had to figure out, and there's been, there's been bucks daylight on that piece that we want that I would kill like really nice bucks. And I don't have a tag. Um, but if I were to go in there and try to set up on them on that spot, I would get pegged like right away. So yeah. we're going to have to figure out how to do something, tie some lines from a tree and kind of make, we're thinking about making like a triangle and hanging stuff from it and just trying to give us some cover to, to make something happen up there because uh it's the right spot but there, it's just if you hunt it you're gonna i mean we were in there with homie and he drew on that 160 class and it boom it was gone like come in on a grunt it was already alerted it was in november it, you know he had grunted and that when you grunted a deer it's crazy you can they could be a long ways away but they have got that thing pinpointed where they oh, heard yeah. it, and they're looking in that area and you're just trying to get like, maybe he'll look away. And then he just got so close. It was either draw or let the deer go. You know what I mean? So yep. um, he drew and that deer did the couple bound and stopped right on the edge of cover thing, you know? So uh, in the rut, you can kind of get away with the decoy. That's something we talked about doing next year. Cause there is no cover having a decoy in there, but late season. Uh, I mean, I don't think that's very a viable option. There's nothing really to distract them and you have all those wary does out there that have been hunted all year that are just eyeballing you nonstop. So that's definitely a challenge that you need to make a plan. Um, one thing we did this year was hunt a lot of cedar trees and you're, you're invincible in those things. If you cut your way into a cedar tree, you can do whatever you want <laughs> up there. It's, it's yeah. really cool. So if, uh, if that, but a lot of shit don't grow good next to cedars. So that's also something to think about. So there is an interesting product out there. I cannot remember for the life of me what it's called, but it's like a, if you can envision a bow hanger hook, like a really aggressive threaded screw that you're going to put into a tree. It's kind of like that, but it's got an open, uh, it's like a two inch tube with a screw that you can tighten into the opening and you can put tree branches in them to add additional like cover, like a, basically a fake limb to a tree, wherever yeah. you want it to be. And I've seen those, I forget what they're called, but I've seen them at, uh, I think they may be called like out on a limb. Yeah. I'm going to the people that make it, make them. I was, we're going <laughs> to do some ratchet strap deal. There's a bunch of trees and they're all about eight inches. Um, and you see where I shot that buck. It's that low green. I don't know what you call it. Rush of olive kind of honeysuckle. Yeah and there's just nothing else there, you know, and, and, uh, we know where we need to be. We just have to make a plan to, to get in there and do it. And I feel like a lot of people wait until summer when they're out there planting these food plots. They're like, Oh, I'm good. There's a ton of cover. And then yeah. they go out there to hunt it in January and they're like, <laughs> okay, I, I'm kind of screwed here. There's nothing in this tree. And, uh, it's crazy how the timber looks different from when you first start hunting in October to now it's, it's like you're hunting two different complete woods, even walking into them. You're like, well, deer can see me from a half mile away right now. So uh, that was one of those lessons of hard knocks gear and I had to learn, you know, 
we we used to be guilty of like hanging stands like right on the edge of the field regardless of back cover or anything like that and so now we typically try to cheat between five and ten yards into the timber on a tree that's like a secondary tree so that way at least if yeah. deer's coming down a field edge presumably like when we're hunting them on a scrape line or something like that that it's not catching us out of its peripheral vision as it's coming down the field edge just because it's such a hard edge and we're at least tucked back a little bit and i feel like that helps for late season quite a bit too because the you know the limbs of the trees that are in front of you on that edge are going to be breaking up your silhouette and everything but it's just it's hard to kill a deer during late season just everything's quiet everything's cold everything creaks everything yeah. moans deer are wary they're in large groups and um you know they've been shot at for three to five months yeah and so one last thing i wanted to mention um before we close this up i had written down is uh, if you, you know, you put the food plot in, you do the work, you get a buck out there, you need to shoot with all your late season gear on what you plan on hunting. Um, and right now would be a great time to do that. You don't want to do that when it's 75 or 80 out and you have all that gear on. Um, cause when you draw a bow back with all that stuff on, it's a, you're shooting completely different than you're shooting when you're normally hunting. It's, it feels different. Um, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I feel kind of giant in the stand and I feel like I'm always leaning forward because I have so much like I can almost lean forward and all the stuff supports me. You know what I mean? So I feel like when I'm shooting, you got a lot more thickness on your arm. Um, your release is going to fit different. You need to figure out what you're going to do with gloves or no gloves. Um, and that's something that you need to plan before. Oh, I got a buck daylight. and Like, here we go. You know? And, uh, it doesn't seem bad, but when, like, when we've been hunting here recently, when the real feels like negative two, yeah. um, you're like, oh, I won't be that bad. And then you put the clothes on, you need to set in negative two. And you're like, I couldn't draw a bow right now if I had to, you know? So yeah. definitely something that <clears throat> needs to be thought about. And right now is the right time to do it. It's cold out, put all your stuff on, go out there, shoot, see how your bow acts. Okay. This makes a little bit of noise when it's cold. Maybe you can tweak that. Um, anything that's hard plastic in winter is a lot different than in oh, November. Yeah. So, um, definitely some stuff that you need to figure out now, if you do plan on hunting here late season or next year, do you have anything else before we close this out that you think would be worth mentioning? Um, my best advice would be, you don't have to, you know, when it comes to food plots and late season food, I mean, it's not just going to benefit, <clears throat> it's not just going to benefit you. It's going to benefit your deer. Um, you're going to find more antlers. Um, more than likely, the deer are going to deposit their antlers within 400 yards of that food plot. So if you're hunting a you know, chunk of acreage where you've got a lot of deer bedding on you, you're more than likely going to find your target buck sheds. That's a big benefit. Uh, the way I see it too is like when clover and things start to green back up in March and woody browse comes back and it's soft for deer, um, I feel like if you bridge the gap and have, you know, those food plots planted and they do last the deer through the, the month of February in particular is just really hard on deer. I feel like you can recruit other deer that are like, man, this farm's great. In fact, Garrett and I have recruited two bucks that, you know, we don't know by name that are going to be really nice next year. I saw one the other night that was a really nice deer this year and um, you can recruit deer you can get them through that February time period. And I feel like that time period when turkey season is happening and that's heavy on our minds is when um, a lot of those deer kind of <clears throat> their antlers are budding out and they're trying to get a footing of maybe where they're going to spend 
you know, the next several months when Garrett and I talk to our buddy, Chase Burns, who does a lot of like wildlife consultation, he'll say, you know, a, a small buck, he may not be the dominant buck on a farm, but he's going to earmark that location. Like, oh man, this turnip spot is awesome. There seems yeah. to be no hunting pressure here. This is great. Uh, I live, you know, down in a less desirable neighborhood right now, but when I'm old, I want to live in this neighborhood. And so mm -hmm. he'll, you know, you may recruit that buck subliminally, like in years to come in the future. And then as it comes to shooting your bow, especially if you're an Illinois guy and you don't have like that late gun season to really get you off of the food and you have to be in the thick of things and killing deer at 50 yards and in, which is hard when it's cold and windy and all those other things and deer are wary that, uh, you know, over the summer, shooting my bow about five, six days a week, if not every day. And then during, um, <clears throat> during the season, Garrett and I call it bow shape. And, uh, you know, I know that everybody in here, like that's listening right now, October, if October first comes and my target buck steps out at 50, I'm going to, I'm going to cut an arrow loose at him or unlikely because that's the best bow shape I'll be in all year. Yeah. And the most ready I'll be to shoot. And then, as the year goes on, you know, what happens when you are hunting? Well, you're hunting in the morning and in the evening. And if you're doing it on a working man schedule, then you're not practicing. And when you're hunting, you're not like shooting of your broadheads into the ground every time. So on days, like in the evenings, after a day of work, if I can slip out, I'm not actually loosening an arrow that day. So you got to make sure that during the season, I try, typically try to shoot my bow two to three days a week continually. Even now that it's really cold, it sucks but I'll throw my stocking cap on my big winter jacket on my gloves and I'll go out and I'll shoot at 40 and 50 yards. Even if it's not a whole many bunches of groups, maybe if it's two groups of five, as long as I keep that muscle memory going Yeah. just because you don't want to be that guy that's, you know, hunts all October, hunts November, kills a buck and into two bucks state like Illinois, you're like, all right, I'm waiting till late season. And then you don't shoot your bow for like a month or a month and a half. Now all of a sudden that 50 yard group could become real sloppy Money would yeah. still be okay. Most people I know that can pick their bow out of the case and, you know, stick them in a three inch circle at 20, even after that elapsed time. But yeah. when deer are in late season, you know, they're going to be milling around unless you're sitting on an edge feather or a, a pinch that they have to go through. And you may not always get that 20 yard shot. So my best, you know, advice would be, be a, be a stickler for going and being <clears throat> shooting your bow a lot. So. Yeah, you got to be a killer all times of the year, and every every point of the year, your shots probably going to be a little feel a little different, um, yeah. just because amount of clothes and the conditioning that you have. Like yeah. you said, when season's coming up and it's you know late September, everybody's out shooting their bow, everybody's jacked up, and then season comes and you really don't shoot your bow a lot because um, if you have time, you're you're hunting or you're pulling yeah. trail cams or you're scouting or you're doing something and all that time that you were at your house shooting your bow is pretty much irrelevant and gone. So that's definitely a great tip. Just be in mind that you do have, even though it is late season, you have to perform like you do the rest of the year and, and make the shot. And a lot yeah. of times on a food plot, the shot is probably going to be a little further than you're set up on a pinch in the rut or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's definitely going to be a different situation. You might have more time for the shot, but it's probably going to be a further distance shot. But yeah. all right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on to, tonight and chit-chatting with us about this. Uh, I wanted to talk about this, and I didn't know really anybody that would be more um, – uh, what am I trying to say? Give me the word. More uh, – More wasting yeah. their time more, during late yeah. than chasing yeah. after 
more qualified to to talk about um you know late season food plots you guys put in a ton of work and you have made your property perfect for for you know picking out a deer late season on a food plot um and it, it's super cool to see what you've guys done throughout the years um building that property uh but it's it's not too late to start that's the main thing i want to say about this is make a plan now whether it's whether you're going to go all out and you're going to have a two three acre plot or you're going to do something small or you're going to you know say hey i'm going to ask the farmer whatever you can do to benefit your year um i feel like a lot of people are done hunting right now maybe five percent of the hunters i know are hunting right now the only like the absolute die hard crazy dudes are out there still hunting um and it's a it's a good time to hunt it's a fun time to hunt it's beautiful out there during late season and it's cool because there's not a lot of other people out there hunting um so it's definitely a time that i think people are like well the deer are just gone it's because you don't have food if you have food the deer will be there it's just part of the game um and we're, we're, we've seen that this year with our, that throw and grow plot, like no deer, no deer, nothing but coyotes for three weeks on that cam. I'm not, it's not even a doe. We get this snow and cold temps. And then I had seven bucks on it. Yeah. Like out of nowhere. They like, they were there. It was bucks that were there, like you said, in the summer and early season. And they ear tagged that food plot and said, we know this is here. Um, when it gets bad, we're coming back. And then yeah. the next night we get an opportunity of one of our target bucks from, you know, from November that we never even seen in the daylight. And he's running into the food plot, broad daylight, like nothing's ever gone, but there's been no pressure there. They've been gone. They're just thinking, holy shit, we got this buffet of food and yeah. there's no one out here. Um, we're going to, we're going to dig in. So I feel like it's extremely rewarding too. Like if you just love watching deer, there's no better time to watch large quantities of deer than the yeah. late season and taking it legitimately in inventory. So the firm that we are really proud of managing, it got hit by EHD, would have been four summers ago. <clears throat> and our first year after our late destination food sources, we might have had six to eight deer uh, three, three years ago, about a dozen. Last year, there was the most deer we saw was 18 and I've seen, you know, upwards of about 40 ish deer, uh, on our properties this year, that prop, you know, the, our early season plot and our destination plot. And, and just because you have that late season food doesn't necessarily mean you're guaranteed to kill, um, of the course of the last, you know, um, like I said, about 10, 11 days out of the last two weeks, I've been out there and seen the target buck one time at about 150 yards. Unfortunately, not a whole lot you can do with the bow in your hand at that distance, but I've seen him. I've seen two other deer that Garrett and I don't really know of that we recruited that I'm assuming are probably three years old. One's really nice. I probably would have probably would have shot him as in there and told Garrett Taylor. And I'm like, man, that deer is really nice. I would, I would love to shoot that deer. And, um, all the other deer that we've got on trail camera, like every single distinguishable different buck um, yeah. we've been seeing almost with regularity, like every single night that I've been out. And uh, it's incredibly rewarding to see the fruits of your labor pay off in that way. And just see like all those bucks to know that you're going to find the majority of their sheds to know that for the majority of their daylight day, they're spending it on your property, walking around on you. It's highly rewarding. So if yeah, you and, and wet feet, and you know that if you have that food, they're not going nowhere. So you know that they made it through the gun seasons. The neighbors aren't going to kill them. And that's, that's half it. the battle is no one else killing them. So <laughs> yeah. you know that you're feeding that deer. 
he's going to have a better chance of surviving the winter because he has this food. He's going to have a better chance of surviving because he's not going to leave your property to go somewhere else to get food because he has the food. So it's a win-win all the way around. It's just the initial cost of doing the food plot. And it comes down to this, like you said, what's it worth to you to have the deer there and kind of know what's going on. And if you're like us and you absolutely love this, it's pretty valuable to have deer in January because you're like, all right, this deer made it. He's on my food plot or even after season, you have a food plot. You still running a camera on it. You're like, okay, I have this deer. I can make a plan to hunt this deer next year. I know he's alive. If you have enough food, you're kind of waiting for summer or October to come where he's going to hit a scrape and you're like, Oh shit, he's back. And now you're making a plan. You know, right now you can kind of make a plan for, and that's kind of what we're doing right now. Like, okay, we're going to have this deer. He's still alive. What was his tendencies last year? Where do we think he was living? What can we do to up our odds? Cause we know he made it instead of wasting our time. Kind of like what we did with Magnum, you know, you make a, a giant yeah. plan to kill this deer. And then he, you find out a month before season, he's dead. It definitely changes your outlook on the season, but if I think we'll end it here. And, money uh, too, like, I mean, yeah. save that money. If you save a hundred dollars a month, every month, all year, I yeah. mean, you can have a very nice food plot for a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars. You can have an extremely nice food plot. Split it the cost with a buddy, uh, yeah. get a guy you know, you know, a hundred, couple hundred bucks. The cost of the fuel, the cost of the new, you know, hydraulic fluid and stuff for his tractor to do the work. I mean, it's going to be very well worth it for. Yeah, and, and a lot of, and a lot of loan <laughs> landowners, um, they kind of take pride in like their land and their deer. And a lot, like every one of them that I've ever played a, a plot on, they kind of think it's cool that you're like helping the deer out. You're like, yeah. Hey, I'm planting this food plot. You know, they like, they like seeing the deer. They like to know what's on their property. They think it's cool that they're there and you're saying, Hey, I'm going to help this. I'm going to plant this food plot and help the deer, but I'm also going to hunt them. Um, but you know, are you cool with it? And most every time they're like, yeah, go ahead and, and plant, you know, they, yeah. especially if it's ground that really is not used for anything anyways. So, um, I think that's pretty cool. Every time we've done it, they've been like, yeah, go ahead, you know, and, and we got to decide what we're going to do with our new lease. Um, I feel like if we could get some food in there, we could really have something magical, but it's just what we're going to do with it. It's kind of a disaster right now, but we're going to wrap this up guys. Uh, we appreciate you listening. We love you. Um, always try to do the right thing and Whitetail Legacy is out.